eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Alejandro Zuniga here with me. We are at a hotel in suburban Pittsburgh. Jealous? Regardless. A couple beers deep. A couple beers deep. We have oh. to say that on the front. Now, every time I'm funny, they're just going to think that's the reason why. But anyway... <laughs> We're talking Michigan's 24-15 to win at Penn State. Big win for the Wolverines. Top 10 road win. Decent amount to take in. Pretty impressive performance. For nine weeks, we had talked about, you know, this team looks really good, but they haven't faced a test. This team is really dominant. They dominate this stat. They're a really well-rounded team, but they haven't necessarily faced a team where they can kind of prove it at a national championship caliber level. And, and I think Saturday they did. Kind of an interesting game. Jim Harbaugh was sidelined with that three-game suspension, which at some point I think Steve and I will get on and, and we'll offer some additional thoughts. But I feel like most of what we've said in the previous episodes still hold up. So be sure to go listen to those wherever you found this podcast and check those past episodes out. But regardless, Jim Harbaugh in a hotel somewhere in, in State College, Sharon Moore took over and he won. He got a top 10 win, top 10 road win. A lot of coaches go their whole careers and make millions of dollars without a top 10 road win. Not naming names, but some do. But also, like, the actual game was kind of weird because Michigan, they got a, a, a lead with two straight touchdown drives in the what late first and then mid-second quarter. And then Penn State made it within five at halftime. And then Michigan added a field goal early in the second half off of a Drew Aller fumble. So they were up eight, 17-9. And then it, they just played like they were up by 30. They ran, but 32 straight times. They did not pass the ball after J.J. McCarthy attempted a pass with 721 to go in the second quarter. So kind of a weird, you know, sometimes we like talk about the pass game, talk about the run game. There's not much to talk about in the pass game, but the run and the run game did very well. They ran for 227 yards. That might not sound like a ton based on some of the numbers Michigan put up last year, but this is against maybe the number one run defense in the country. And this is the most rushing yards Penn State has given up since last October when they gave up 418 also to Michigan. Michigan is the only team, and they've done it twice. Everyone else Penn State has played the last two seasons has failed to get over 185 rushing yards. And 16 of those 22 other opponents have failed to get to 100 rushing yards. So I think the biggest takeaway, Alejandro, is that the run game after a, a kind of a, I don't know if slump is the right word because they were winning these games, but it wasn't, the run game was not living up to the preseason expectations. And I would argue it's potential with the experience and the talent. 
But we started to see it on Saturday. You know, Blake Corham really impressed. But Donovan Edwards also had a couple nice breakaway runs. J.J. McCarthy made some key first downs on the ground. So I think that's probably my biggest takeaway. What was your biggest takeaway from the offense? You can't talk too much about the pass game, right? Because if you told anybody before this game that, hey, J.J. McCarthy's going to throw for 60 yards and have seven completions for the night or for the afternoon, people would not be predicting the final score uh, that that resulted in Happy Valley today. So it's got to be the run game. I, I think a couple things, right? I mean, Sharon Moore is the offensive line coach. Uh, he, he's obviously very heavily involved in the run game. And when he gets tasked at the very last minute, uh, literally it was after the team arrived at the stadium that they knew for sure that Jim Harbaugh was not going to be their coach. But when it's Sharon Moore, you have the expectation that maybe they are going to lean a little bit more on the run game. And it the run game... When you when you just think, oh, they're just running the ball 32 straight times, which they did, that seems very simple in in you know in theory. But when you look at it, you do a lot of different things over 32 straight carries uh, and over the 46 carries, right, minus a couple sacks that they had on Saturday afternoon. You mentioned JJ McCarthy getting involved in the ground game. That for me is the number one thing, right? Because coming into this game, Michigan was averaging a yard per carry less than they did last year. Michigan coaches and players have said all year long, oh, the run game is fine. The run game is fine. Look at the stats. It was not at that same level. Now, that's not to say it was bad, right? This is still a very good offensive line, two very good running backs, a team that can run the ball when they need to. It was just they didn't need to. Today they did against a very good excellent defense and they were able to do it now why were they able to do it number one for me is they turned on jj mccarthy in the in the ground game he was a threat on the ground they did not run him designed or reads at all last week against purdue when you turn on the jj run game it opens things up inside and then donovan and blake both of them i think their best games of course when you go for a season high uh, like both of them, I believe, did. It's very easy to say. But very confident running. Uh, they made a, a few plays where it just felt like they were doing more than what the play was blocked for. And that's something that we haven't seen a lot this year. And they broke out the big ones, right, against a rush defense that had allowed, I believe it was 60 yards a game that Penn State defense had a, allowed on the ground throughout this year. Blake Corum surpassed that by himself. Donovan Edwards nearly surpassed that by himself. 227 rush yards. Is it last year? No. But by the end of this game, Michigan knew that it could just keep handing the ball off and it was going to win comfortably, and that's what they did. Stole some of my stats, man. Sounds almost <laughs> like we rode in the car home from the stadium together. But Yeah, we should, but... <laughs> we should have recorded in the car. Yeah, if, if, it, if the car noise weren't a problem and obviously distracted driving, but but yeah, no, it's it's... <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of on the same page. And I think the question that a lot of people want to know is like, why did Michigan feel compelled? Because they weren't up 30 points, right? They weren't up 20 points. They weren't even up 10 points. They were up eight points and they really just went with a run. And some people wondered, okay, was Sharon Moore making a statement or like giving like a nod to Jim Harbaugh saying like, we miss you. Uh, you know, Kurt, Kurt Campbell, Michigan quarterbacks coach, former Penn State guy, you know, you never know, right? Right? The the sign stealing 
right? You never know anymore if, if someone's got a personal connection, if they figured out your playbook. I, at one point, I know a lot of us in the press box, we were like trying to like see if J.J. McCarthy was hurt during like in between timeouts because they usually throw the ball a few times during the TV timeouts and and he was throwing it. So to my knowledge, he was not hurt and they did attempt a couple passes. They just didn't become passes. So there was a fourth down play where he kind of rolled to his right. No one was open. He just decided to cut in and, and get the first down. And then I think there was a pass play that got erased by pass interference. So I don't think that's what it was. I really think Michigan, though, I think they really were just, I don't know if it was a pregame plan or just in the moment, but I think they said, they looked at Penn State's offense and kind of said, hey, until they tie this thing up, let's just run the ball. Because I, I will give Penn State a lot of credit I think their pass rush is excellent. I think they had Michigan on the ropes early because they were getting to J.J. McCarthy, not just like providing pressure, but hitting him, making it hurt, right? They, I mean, they they almost had three sacks in Michigan's first like seven plays. And so, yeah, I, I think there is a part of me that wondered though, like if they're looking at Michigan's defense, if Michigan's looking at their defense and Penn State's offense, and we'll talk about that side of the ball in just a moment, but I, I just kind of wonder, I mean, because again, it's one thing if Michigan ran for 400 yards, like they've had those games before, but they just run over and over and over because they're getting seven yards a pop. They averaged 4.9 yards per carry. That's a good number. That's a great clip against Penn state who was averaging 2.0 yards per carry previously, but it's not like they were getting touchdown after touchdown, first down after first down. I mean, they were, but I think they were more comfortable with a drive that made it to about midfield and punting and pinning Penn state back and making them go the whole length of the field, than they were throwing the ball and risking an interception or risking a sack fumble. Like I think, I think Penn state, don't forget they have forced where they plus 16 in turnover margin this season before Saturday, they had forced 20 turnovers. They had 10 forced fumbles, 10 interceptions. I think, I think there was a little bit of, of Michigan, Maybe they were making a statement. They didn't talk about it after the game. So I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe it was like a subtle secret statement, but I kind of think they just were like, let's see if let's do this and let's see if Penn state catches us and to Michigan's defense credit, they didn't. So yeah, very impressive performance. As you said, Blake Corum season high, 165 rushing yards, Donovan Edwards, Season high, sounds weird to say, but season high, 52 rushing yards, <laughs> two impressive 22-yard runs. Uh, one, he didn't have a shoe. The other one, the snap didn't go off cleanly, and he scored a touchdown on it, broke a couple would-be tacklers. So, yeah, the, I think the long run plays, that's that's got to be really encouraging. And then I think this, you know, all season long, it kind of been the pass game. J.J. McCarthy was a Heisman candidate. They were top five and a whole bunch of different stats in, in terms of uh, passing efficiency, yards per attempt, completion percentage. I think they probably will still be top five in all those categories, but throwing for 60 yards on the road against a top 10 team and still coming away with, with a win that felt not very close. It was a nine-point win. I don't know about your vantage point, Alejandro. I felt like it was like it might as well have been a 15-point win. Mm-hmm. It did feel like they they imposed their will, and and what a – fun classic Michigan moment you know thinking about knowing how these players are wired that Blake Corum's got like blood trickling down his face he's got <laughs> the stitches in the postgame presser being asked about running 32 straight times beating a top 10 team on the road so very impressive 
on that front from the offense. And I, I wouldn't overlook 24 points. It did feel like they, there were some times where they maybe left some plays on the field or some yards on the field, but, but this is supposed to be Penn state through nine games. They were viewed as one of the top three defenses in the country and Michigan, even almost like with a hand tied behind its back, you know, in terms of the passing game and an offensive minded head coach watching from a hotel was able to put up 24 points. So pretty impressive on the offensive side of the ball. We're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll talk about the defense and some other takeaways about what this win means for the Wolverines. You're listening to the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of the farmer's dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra processed kibble and started eating fresh whole food. The farmer's dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Alejandro, I think the biggest takeaway for me was that this Michigan defense does look like the best in the country. And I know Ohio State's defense looks really good. I know, and they only allowed 12 points against Penn State, albeit in Columbus. Georgia's defense I guess they've allowed more points, but it does feel like when they need to turn it on, they're able to. I mean, there's a lot of good defenses in the country, but it does feel like Michigan's is the best. Felt like they had a very holistically stellar game on Saturday. Will Johnson played great. I felt like the defensive linemen were able to get off their blocks when they weren't being held or tackled to the ground, <laughs> and and they were able to make some tackles. I felt like the linebackers filled, filled in really well. You know, obviously every team's going to get – some yards and some points, but Penn state really could not do much of anything until there was that, that drive, that last drive that they had of the game where they scored with two minutes to go when they were down by 15 points. And even that drive, they needed three defensive penalties to kind of keep the drive alive. So I came away most impressed with the defense. What jumped out to you about what the defense did on Saturday? Yeah, for me, this goes back to, to what we talked about in our last segment in the offense, right? And and you mentioned that you thought maybe Michigan was making a statement with running the ball 32 straight times. I, I would disagree with that. I don't think they were making a statement necessarily. I think it's that they just didn't believe that Penn State could score the ball on them. And if you shorten the game by running, then you win, right? Uh, Michigan has made it very clear. Sharon Moore, the, the entire staff has made it clear. Like, they're not necessarily going out there looking for you know for for the sprinkles on top for the brownie points or anything they're looking to leave with a win uh, no matter what that takes and it's going to be a little bit of game theory here right but but James Franklin goes for two uh, on a touchdown near the end of the first half they don't get it they're down by five right and then when when Michigan kicks a field goal uh, midway through that third quarter they're up by eight points and against Penn State 
I think Michigan just felt like that was two possessions. And I just don't think that Michigan felt like in a competitive portion of the game that Penn State was going to be able to drive the field and, and score. You know, like Iowa, Iowa played on this football field a few weeks ago. And I think Michigan kind of embodied a little bit of Iowa of, hey, punting. Yes, punting is winning against Drew Aller and the Penn State offense in 2023. So you're asking about how good this Michigan defense is. I, I don't put too much stock in Penn State's offense, uh, all things considered, right? I, I do think they're a little one-dimensional, much like many of the offenses Michigan has, has played this year. Drew Aller, at this stage in his career, is a limited quarterback, right? He does not see the field exceptionally well. I don't trust his throwing motion a whole lot. Clearly, Penn State doesn't trust him to throw the ball beyond 10 yards downfield. That's been the storyline with Drew Aller all season. He has yep. one of the lowest depth of target of any Power 5 quarterback. 122nd out of 134. I knew I'd have a stat you didn't have. Beautiful. I, I did not have that off the top of my head, but that is bad. Uh, that is objectively bad. Uh, particularly for someone who Penn State fans and, and I think the program had really high hopes for this year. And I'm not saying he's a, he's a bad quarterback or he's going to be a bad quarterback forever. Uh, but in this year where Penn State thought that this could be their year to unseat Michigan, to take a step above Ohio State, their offense just isn't at that level. And that, as we heard from the boos at Beaver Stadium earlier, that that's a problem for that program. Uh, but for the Michigan defense, they knew they were facing an offense that was relatively one-dimensional. They knew they had an offense, the Wolverine offense, that was going to drain the clock. When Drew Aller fumbles to start the third quarter, the third quarter was over, right? Michigan kicks a field goal, and when they kick a field goal to go up by eight, there's just three and a half minutes left. And that's – Penn State barely had the ball in the third quarter. So – I don't know that this game moves the needle a whole lot in terms of how good I feel the Michigan defense is. I think this game is proof, right? It is proof of the Michigan formula that if you play good complementary football, which is such a coaching buzzword, but if you can run the ball well, if you can protect the ball, you drain the clock and you pair that with very good defense, you will come out a victor more likely than not. And in this game, by the end of the third quarter, by the time Michigan was up eight and then ultimately 15 before that last touchdown, the stadium emptied out because everyone knew how the game was going to end. I'm sure Joel Klatt talked, you know, the boa constrictor on air. I was not listening, uh, but it's a very it's a very uh, accurate analogy or an accurate metaphor uh, to, to what the Michigan football team looks like. You know, they, they don't make mistakes. They don't commit turnovers. Uh, they they know what they do well. They do it well, and the result is twenty four to fifteen, ten and zero on the season, and eyes on Maryland and very well Ohio State for for a Big Ten title. That's true. Yeah, it it is. I mean, at this point, you know, the Gopher win number one thousand next yeah. week at Maryland. You know, that will be probably probably honestly, other than the suspension stuff, sign gate stuff, that probably will be the biggest storyline this week. I mean, I think. With no disrespect to Maryland, who did win at Nebraska today, I think there is a little bit of a sense of like, how do you make sure that, that game for Michigan isn't a game where you're caught napping or caught resting in between two top 10 matchups? And- Zach, throw the game. Just throw the game. Win 1,000 at home against Ohio State. <laughs> 
who cares, right? If you lose to Maryland and you beat Ohio State and win the Big Ten, you're in the you're in the college football playoff. Throw the game. I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, if, if Michigan wins, the, the whoever wins the Big Ten is going to make the playoff at this point, just with the number of top tier teams that seem to be in the conference. There's a lot of undefeated teams though, so you don't necessarily want to leave it too much <laughs> up to chance. There's several one loss Power Five teams that that win their championships or are second or whatever, but. Yeah, real quick regarding Penn State's offense, because I'm sure you saw it too. It just, it really did look like an offense that could not do a thing. And a lot of credit goes to Michigan, but you know, talking to some of the Penn State writers, I think there is a little bit of almost like an existential crisis where I think Penn State isn't quite sure what they want to be as an offense and what they want to be as a program. I mean, you know, they, they know what they want to be, but they don't know how to get there. I mean, I don't know. Some of the some of the post game questions that were being asked of like James Franklin and some of the players, it was very. It reminded me a lot of like 2018 Michigan, where you know they were a good team, they won 10 straight games, but they lost against the two top five teams that they played, and so the whole season in a 14 playoff that kind of sours the whole season. Like you're playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, but what exactly does that? mean when Penn State's been to the New Year's Six Bowl, right? They want to see the progress. They want to see the growth. They want to see a Big Ten division title, conference title. They want to see a college football playoff appearance. You could argue Penn State is the most successful program in the college football playoff era that never actually made it to the college football playoff. And now it'll be expanded, right? I don't think anyone stands to gain more in the Big Ten from expanding the, getting rid of divisions, kind of mixing up who you're playing every year, and also an expanded playoff than Penn State because Penn State next year, I mean, they'll, they'll play some tough teams. I mean, it's not going to be a gimme. They get Ohio State and Washington at home. They're playing like at Wisconsin, at USC. I get it, but you'll have Aller back. You'll have Singleton back, you know, and they get they get another year to grow, get another year to improve. Katron Allen will be back. A lot of defensive players will be back. So I'm kind of fascinated to see, not that this is, that's the focus of this podcast, <laughs> but I am kind of fascinated to see like that next, do they benefit from maybe – mixing up who they play. And also you can lose. Like if, if, if the, there was a 12 team playoff right now, Penn state would not be a shoe in for the playoff, but they'd have a pretty good shot. You know, they'd be looking at these next two weeks as a chance to maybe throw some style points on their resume show, you know, a complete dominance and maybe try to sneak in as one of those bottom two or three teams. But obviously Michigan doesn't have to worry about that. They are still in the thick of the playoff hunt I think they made a, a decent case. You know, it was funny. My my first takeaway when I wrote the takeaway story was that they're the they should be the number one team in the country. But then I did see Georgia look pretty good, and Ohio State looks pretty good. You know, we're watching these night games; they're they're kind of boring. <laughs> you know, just how good that they are. So so it's kind of a fun year because I really do think that there's there's a lot of A plus caliber teams. Yeah, you know, I think some years there was talk about a two loss team making the playoff for. Or a one-loss team that didn't win the conference championship. That's happened before, but they made the playoffs. So I feel like that's not going to happen this year. I, I don't know. I guess we'll see. Crazy things can happen. But but it does seem like a lot of the teams that are kind of in that mix keep passing their tests, keep looking good. So it's going to be – I think this would have been a really fun year for a 12-team playoff. But it's going to be a fun to see how things go down the stretch. Anything else jump out to you? Or I know you were on the sidelines. So if there's any stories or – I guess yeah. moments to share uh, anything else jump out to you from this game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, really the, the biggest thing and, and 
we've talked at nauseum, you know, on on this podcast, on on the on the website, on you know, the whole nation's talking about it, right? Is is the Jim Harbaugh situation? But not to get into that specifically, but my biggest takeaway outside of football is like this was a very emotional game for the Michigan football team, and it was emotional and different in ways. Not that, for Sharon Moore. Uh, no, he was as uh, stoic as they come. Just emotional in ways that that you don't really expect. It, it just in in very different ways, right? Like this team woke up on Saturday morning not knowing who their head coach was, right? They they got to the stadium, and I talked to Ward Manuel, and I said, "Hey, like, what's going on?" He's like, "Yeah, we're we're waiting, we're waiting and hoping, just like everyone else is." And then they had to go out, know that they didn't have their head coach. They were facing, you know, chance of, you know, where's Jim and cheaters and and they went out and played a football game. And listen, the the celebrations that they had, the the tears from Sharon Moore, the post-game comments from Trevor Keegan, who, you know, Sharon Moore, you know, cursed on his post-game, you know, on Fox. So I can swear too, right? Um, <laughs> but he, he was he was saying, I'm pissed. We're pissed, right? They are they are taking this, the criticism, the questioning of how real the last two Big Ten championships were and how real the 9-0, and now 10-0 and record is, they are taking that personally. And that is very clear. I got a text from, from someone who was a part of the program who said, listen, after the game, he said, I'm not usually you know too emotional, too nostalgic in the moment. Uh, but he said, but this win was special today that the way that they pulled together, the way that they shut out the outside noise, the way that they were on an airplane, you know, they were 30,000 feet in the air when their coach got suspended and they landed and all their phones started blowing up because the news was coming in and that's how they found out. And they still came out and won a big 10 football game against the top 10 opponent on the road. That meant a lot to them. The staffer who, who texted me said, incredible what can happen when everyone bands together. And yeah, that, that's my takeaway. I think that, you know, for this season, of course, you break down the football game, you break down the performances, you think about what it means for the Big Ten race for the college football playoff. But I think in a year, two years, five years, you know, 30 years, what people will remember is the circumstances around this game, the absolute absurdity of the past 36 hours Everything that has happened, this was a very meaningful win for this team and for these players and for Sharon Moore. Uh, that was my biggest takeaway from this game. It, it, this this meant a lot to them, and I'm sure they are are sleeping well back in Ann Arbor tonight. It is their 10th straight Big Ten road win, and I was showing you this stat a few moments ago, but that's their longest Big Ten road win streak since 1945 to 1948. It's also the first time, now this one might be just tougher because of sample size or opportunities, but it's their, it's the first time that they have beaten a top 10 team on the road because they won at Ohio State last year. First time they've beaten a top 10 team on the road in back-to-back seasons since 1963-1964. So you know, we talk, there's been a lot of first since moments over the last three years, but but they added some more. They're now three and one against Penn State when they're when both teams are in the top ten. And I guess like where I'm going with that with some of those more staggering stats, it feels like the more 
winning streak goes on, just the more impressive it gets. They're now 35 and three over the last three seasons. And I guess what has really jumped out to me, a lot has jumped out to me over the last 36 hours or so, right? Mm-hmm. Lot, lot to cover, lots of interesting angles, lots of stuff that's not resolved. I think this is a lot of this, in a lot of ways, this is this stuff is just getting started. But I think what really jumped out to me, because I you know follow a lot of my Big Ten covering colleagues, covering other programs. I, I, I like to think I'm pretty in touch with what a lot of different fan bases think and are saying. And it's just remarkable how Michigan has become just the absolute villain of college football. And it's, it's funny to me because I don't think Michigan wants that role. I don't think they view them. They don't view themselves as the villain. I guess the villain never does, but they were, I think they were a little blindsided by just how strongly, and we can talk about the politics that go into it, but just how strongly every, all the the rest of the country, just as soon as they had an opportunity to take Michigan down, they, they didn't miss that opportunity. And on Saturday when they were playing Penn State, much of the country was rooting against them, right? And even like kind of the, what, what should be like sweet or nice moment, like Sharon Morris post-game interview, I mean, people were going nuts and like attacking Michigan and making fun of them. And there's just a lot of vitriol toward Michigan right now. And we asked some of the players prior to this game earlier in the week, what's your comfort level being the villain? And they all said, if that's what people view them as, that's fine. You know, they're, they're, they're cool with that. I don't think that's like how they would call themselves or how they would portray themselves. I think they're quite in bad boys pistons in terms of being that, that heel almost. But at the same time, I do think Michigan wears the role really well i think they look really good as the villain i think that they you know the, the punishing style of football that they play the physicality the strength the consistency you mentioned the boa constrictor is there any more agonizing way to get beat than a team just kind of like running over and over not even caring if they're scoring just running over and over and over and just sucking the absolute life out of the game. I mean, that that field goal drive to open the second half after they after they recovered the fumble, 13 plays, 45 yards, eight minutes off the <laughs> clock, and they didn't even score a touchdown. It was a field goal drive, eight-minute field goal drive. Just absolutely, yeah, sucked the absolute air out of Beaver Stadium. And, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure Michigan fans don't, some Michigan fans are leaning into the villain thing. I know not all of them will. But I will say this. I remember I heard a couple media people this week talk about if they win the national championship, it'll be bad for the game, blah, blah, blah. People will stick up their noses in disgust. Well, go back and look at who has won national championships the last 15 years. And go ask, if, you, if you're not familiar, go ask any college football fan, hey, what do you think of like Nick Saban's Alabama teams? What do you think of Kirby Smart's Georgia teams? What do you think of Dabo Swinney's Clemson teams? These are not feel-good stories. These teams, when they win national championships, they're not the teams that, like, they're not, like, the plucky, you know, feel-good story. Auburn was maybe the closest, but even they had, and, and, and Florida State was maybe close, but even they had very controversial quarterbacks who were almost suspended midseason. Wasn't that something that was kind of up in the air with Cam Newton and Jameis Winston? LSU, maybe an interesting choice because Ed Orgeron was kind of, uh, you know, he talks funny and he's kind of a goofy guy. But even LSU was 
you know, three, uh, what Odell Beckham Jr. passing out hundred dollar bills after the game. Like it, it's with the way recruiting goes, with the way the there's a lack of parity in college football. And so, yeah, if you're winning national championships, you're probably the villain to most of the country. And I'm not saying this is advice for teams, but if you're a feel good story, you're probably not winning enough games. You're probably not winning games on the big stage. The only feel-good stories I'm seeing in college football are the plucky underdogs, the upstart, you know, first-year coaches like sending their new program to great heights. No, when you're when you're trying to win a national championship, you're going to be the villain. So for Michigan, they're just getting good at it. They're getting more reps at being the villain. You know, hearty boos at Beaver Stadium, lots of chances. You mentioned it's a role Michigan plays really well. I think it's a good look on them, whether they wanted that role or that look or not. Some of them, it seems they seem reluctant about it or they disagree. But outside observer, that was that was my my biggest non schematic takeaway from Saturday was, boy, this team really can look good as the villain. They really can. And that that's something they can go all the way to the national championship with. Trevor Keegan said they got a target on their back. Everybody's out to get them. Everyone wants to see them lose. They love it. They love it. That's if you want to win a championship, that's what you have to be. You gotta you gotta be able to put all that on your shoulders and go out there and play punishing football. And Michigan, I, I say went through a lot. I mean, it's it's kind of an ironic thing because it's technically avoidable. Technically, you know, there's like violations, but but at the same time, it the way the Big Ten did this, and, and you want to talk about the villain notion, the Big Ten didn't want Michigan to be successful. The way they timed out this suspension of Jim Harbaugh. That was a huge favor to Penn State. Now, you could argue, oh, Michigan was so fired up that it, that it turned out to be a favor for Michigan. But at the same time, it was clearly an effort to inconvenience and disadvantage Michigan as much as possible. So your own conference commissioner, who's going to make millions if you win a national championship, if you make it to the college football playoff, is out to get you, doesn't like you, wants to see you fail. There's zero doubt in my mind, Tony Petiti, he, he, he'd never admit it, there's zero doubt in my mind he wanted to see Michigan lose on Saturday. And they didn't. A lot of fan bases in the Midwest wanted to see Michigan lose on Saturday. And they didn't. Penn State pulled out all the stops. Couldn't couldn't figure it out. Could not get even more than 15 points on the board. They couldn't even get out above 10 points until the last two minutes of the game. So punishing brand of football, Michigan, not their first time being the villain. I mean, you could argue they've had a target on their back for a couple years, but... The hate, the contempt, the vitriol, it got cranked up a couple notches over the past couple weeks. And Michigan just keeps looking better and better. Anyway, for Alejandro Zuniga, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Be sure to check out all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. Lots of stories coming, our experiences and the players and coaches that we talk to after the game. So be sure to check all of that out, and we'll see you next time. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is the next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.